This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 179 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. We are back with our first off-season pod of the summer and we've got a couple bits of football news to touch on before we turn it over to our main feature of the week, which is an interview Brady and David did with the Georgia State baseball coach Brad Stromdahl. So make sure you stick around for that. But first, we felt like we needed to address the scheduling of these off-season pods. We have some cool stuff in the works that's pretty open-ended right now in terms of when we'll be able to record, so there's not going to be regular weekly episodes for a while. Just wanted to put that out there. We haven't forgotten about you guys, and we haven't hit the podcast transfer portal or anything like that, but it will be pretty sporadic when we do upload a new episode this summer, which, uh, of course, we'll let you know when that new stuff comes out over on our Twitter and also on Panther Talk, so look forward to seeing that there, and we'll do our best to get it out in a timely manner as we're able to. But let's go ahead and move on to that football news I mentioned at the top of the pod. Football and basketball have both reported for the summer with no major surprises. But there is a bit of recruiting news on the football side to touch upon. Panthers have added to their specialist room by getting the commitment of Charlotte transfer kicker Braden McAllister. McAllister sat out and took a redshirt in his only season in the Queen City, so there's no college stats to go off of. But he racked up plenty of all-county and all-state accolades in high school in North Carolina. Additionally, Today, as of the recording of this podcast, former Kansas State defensive end Ozzie Hoffler announced his intention to commit to Georgia State. He's listed at six foot two and 233 pounds out of Woodward Academy in Atlanta, and he also never saw the field at his last stop, redshirting in 2021 and not appearing for the Wildcats in their Sugar Bowl season in 2022, but he was rated as a three-star recruit out of high school. So gentlemen, thoughts on these two additions to the Panthers? I feel like it's a bit of a choose your own adventure situation to guys that there's basically nothing to go off of on the college field, which is probably the biggest indicator of success. You know, the better the stats are, the more likely we're going to look at it and be like, this guy's going to come here and compete. Um, I don't know that it really changes much for me as far as the kicker goes, because it, it feels like a real unanswered question, but he's another option coming in, uh, McAllister. And I don't know whether to read it as like, they really wanted to bring someone in because they didn't feel like who they had here was who they wanted to roll with as starting place kicker or whether it's just adding more competition. I guess we'll find that out as the fall camp comes around. But with that one, wouldn't shock me if he's the guy. I just don't have any real basis with which to say like, yeah, I know that he's, I definitely seen this kid kick a football before because that for sure has happened. Cause I've been just scouting the high school ranks of North Carolina for uh, kickers. Uh, yeah, and then Hoff- Brady, Brady's yeah. out here confirming that he's doing film, you know, Hoffler is the same way, but uh, I think it's a positive for some fans because he's from Georgia. He's coming back home. seems like he basically didn't have any real opportunity to get into the depth chart at Kansas state, which has been a solid program that's been getting better under Chris Kleiman. And I think there was a little bit of a, from what I read online, something of a a scheme change from when they initially recruited him to when he got there to where they were running more of a three, three, five that he didn't really fit as well. And so all of this to say, it seems like the kind of guy that, uh, you know, Panther fans would be pretty happy to get right out of high school. And I don't really think there's that much of a difference when you're looking at this guy coming in as what would be a red shirt sophomore. So again, I don't really know where to place him in Georgia state's depth chart without having, you know, anything to go off with collegiate stats, but the pedigree as a recruit seems there, obviously school like Kansas state wanted him. So I feel like I wouldn't rule him out being kind of a guy as we're talking 
2023. That's the hope, you know, I jokes aside from what I said earlier, but yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying and we can sit here and talk about fake stats or high school stats all we want, but Name of the game for this team, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, is just finding more bodies that can challenge and just compete. You know, they lost, the, I would say, some very important bodies on the defensive line. Um, that's definitely the specific position of the ball that you're going to really want to sure up. And I, I think they've done a good job in some of the transfers and recruits that they've gotten. Um, but this helps. I mean, this is a guy who might not have seen the field, but he saw practices, you know, so you, you could argue that he has experience. And I think you would probably win that argument. It's not necessarily the best of experience, but hey, it's something. So going forward, if he's a guy that ends up competing and ends up being an impact player, then, you know, it's great that Georgia State has him for at least another year. And then there were a couple other ones that, you know, these kind of trickled through recently. One of them, I think the news broke because the the roster updated on Georgia State Athletic website. It's like, oh, this guy's here. Uh, Corey Warren, who's a defensive lineman, and Josiah Robinson, who's a linebacker, inside linebacker, have both made the transfer to Georgia State coming from Coastal Carolina, having been recruited by new defensive coordinator Chad Stagg. So it's a couple guys that, again, they've played – they have some stats off the top of my head. I don't remember either of them having like double digit tackles in their career at Coastal Carolina, but they saw the field some and adding to the depth that you just mentioned on the defensive line with Warren and Robinson and in what's becoming a very deep inside linebacker group all of a sudden uh, with Blake Carroll and Venzial coming back. Uh, I wonder where they'll fit in because they're guys that, Stags obviously saw fit to offer a scholarship to in his last spot. And it's kind of his own little mini recruiting class without him having been here through a whole recruiting cycle. He's got two guys that he knew pretty well through the high school times that uh, he wanted to bring along, that they wanted to follow him. And so a couple more guys to circle. It was low-key additions because it wasn't really like a whole commitment process you know, through social media and everything. So almost fitting that I threw them in without having, you know, without Jordan reading about them at the top of this block, but a couple more guys to mention that we now know are Panthers. All right. And as promised, we do have that interview with Georgia state baseball coach, Brad Stromdahl that uh, Brady and David were able to do earlier. So we'll go ahead and throw to that now. Please to welcome to the Thursday night podcast right now, Baseball head coach for Georgia State, Brad Stromdahl. Coach Stromdahl, thank you for talking with us this summer's day. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's uh, it is thankfully not quite summer heat yet, and so we're we're having such a mild summer or mild summer so far. Recruiting's been uh, recruiting's been easier without uh, 103 degree temperatures. For sure, for sure. I mean, today Georgia got some nice rain, some real heavy rain, so really balance it out. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's been a perfect. My grass is growing, but I can't find time to mow it. So you know, it's, uh... <laughs> outside of that, it, it's probably baseball weather though, right? Like you know, not too hot, but you know, you still kind of want to be outside a little bit. I, I mean, I would assume so. Oh, it's perfect. Oh yeah, I got uh, I got two kids are eleven and eight, and that's all they want to do. They want to play, 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 and um, you know, we live in the the hotbed of baseball in the south, and um, it just it's it's constant and continual, and um, it's ever ever flowing every day, all day long. It's great. So we kind of ended our 2023 baseball coverage on our, our pod last week, and we were kind of mixed on, you know, like 
It was 30 win seasons for the second year in a row. Went further in Sunbelt Tournament, but obviously there are some handful of games you probably think could have gone the other way and maybe could have flipped the way you feel about the season. So I guess no better person to ask than you as the authority on this. Like, <laughs> how do you measure up kind of how the 2023 season went for Georgia State? Um, you know, like like with what what we had, I think that it's we squeezed as much as we possibly could out of uh, what we what we were given. And, you know, we had a couple injuries go down early in the fall. And then, uh, you know, just kind of right before the season started with Matella, uh, Reddick, Earwood, and, uh, you know, Patel hurt himself about, uh, you know, 10 games in. So, you know, I mean, and, and those are everybody, everybody has injuries throughout the course of a season. And, um, you know, nobody feels sorry for you. And so you have to figure out where you're at and what you're doing. And so, you know, for us, 30 wins again is a huge deal. Um, going further in the conference tournament is a big deal. Winning one more game than we did, um, you know, the previous year in conference and finishing 16 and 14 is a big deal. Um, I thought that the conference got exponentially better over the last two years. Um, and then this year it just kind of skyrocketed where, you know, everybody's, you know, Sunday guy was 92, 95. Um, you know, you, you had the same caliber of teams going to the postseason. You know, we had Louisiana, um, Southern Miss, Coastal, and um, and uh, who else? Who's the other one? I forget. Um, we had four postseason teams, but um, and uh, Troy, sorry, and Troy. Um, you know, and and so Southern Miss hosting a super regional. Um, you know, Coastal Carolina being able to host a regional site. I, it, it's a it's a special conference, and so when you look at kind of the the overall aspect of our season compared to where we're at and where we're going. Um, I'm, I'm extremely thrilled. You know, we, we ended up, you know, not being able to pitch at the end of the games. I think we got walked off on eight times this, uh, this season Four four of them were, were multiple runs. Um, you know, two of them were walk off grand slams when we were up three runs on the road. And so it just kind of was our season. And, and so from my standpoint, I'm, I'm thrilled that we were able to, kind of weather the storm, if you will, you know, and so be able to, you know, bend and not break and, you know, just continue on with some bad breaks. I mean, we, we went up to James Madison and, you know, it was 30 degrees and we had the lead in all three games that we only came out with one win. And so it, it's one of those seasons where it's just frustrating all, all ends, but I tell you what, we fought every single, we fought all the way until the last pitch. Um, you know, of the conference tournament, we beat Georgia Southern for f the fourth time to in the conference tournament to get to the uh, the the round of eight. Uh, you know, and then we went up against Coastal, and it just you know it didn't work out. You know, we we didn't um, we just we lost six five, I believe, and then um, you know Texas State, we went to thirteen innings. So just kind of how our season went, um, but really really excited about where where we're at and where we're going. And I think that you have to have this. Um, perspective from taking one step back to see where you were, you know, four years ago, we had 11 wins. Um, and now we're talking about, you know, potentially, um, you know, within our staff, you know, we want to fight for a top 25 spot. We want to be in the top of the conference. We think that we can do some really, really special things. We still return everybody on our staff. And so, um, you know, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun next couple of years, but uh, you know, the first, the last two years of 30 wins sets it up to, to make these runs. That, you know, I, you know, I think that was a great, great answer. And I, you know, I kind of wanted to go back a little bit on something that you said, um, just kind of 
what would you say was the mentality that you you know kind of instilled in your players going into those last two week or that yeah those last two weeks you know where you kind of rattled off five five wins out of six to get to the point where you said okay you know thirty wins is something that we can absolutely achieve this year. Sure, and and, and you know it really wasn't had nothing to do with what I did the last two weeks. It's kind of where we were. You know, Grand Slam on Friday night versus Clemson to walk it off. They walked it off. So tough Friday night. We had the lead on Saturday. We lost all three games. Okay. Then we go into uh, the next weekend and it's a very similar situation throughout the course of it. And so really where we were at to finish like we did, we talked about it all year with our team and our players, our coaches and teams go one way or the other throughout the course of a season you're either trending up by learning from what you've just been through, or you're kind of trending the other way because of bad culture or because of, you know, chemistry within a team injuries, what have you. Um, And so I feel like we didn't, we kind of bounced along, you know, we were up and down, up and down. We were 500 team kind of like through the course first half of the season. And then we kind of caught our, our wind and we kind of understood who we were as a team. And I think that the players said, we're not going to allow this to happen. Um, and so that's where we won five out of our last six, you know, and if we would have beat old dominion, we would have been the seventh seed in the tournament. And so, um, you know, going, going into the last two weekends, we could have been 14th or we could have been third, I think. And so the, the conference was so bunched up. Um, and so we fought tooth and nail right to the end. And, and we told the guys like, we're all in, you know, there's, there's, there's no tomorrow. And, um, you know, we knew that we were in the tournament. We just didn't know what place we were. And so we played for fifth place. We played for fourth place. I mean, and that's that's the mentality you have to go. It's kind of like, you know, you just leave everything on the field and you're not really worried about what tomorrow brings because tomorrow has its own problems. And so, um, you know, the guys kind of took that philosophy and ran with it. And um, they're the ones that kind of took over and, and they're the ones that didn't break, even though it was so frustrating because we hit so well. I think we were second and third in the conference in batting average. You know, we're top 10 in home runs in the country. You know, offensively, we kind of really um, did what we're supposed to do to put us in a position. And we just couldn't finish games. I mean, you know, if we stopped in the eighth inning, there was a stat, I think, about three quarters of the way through. If we stopped playing in the eighth inning, we'd be like 30 and four or something ridiculous like that. So, you know, it's just it's part of baseball. It's part of, uh, you know, part of being with a team. It's part of the growth process of an organization. And so um, I couldn't be happier with where where we are and what we did. And those guys, those last two weeks, um, they all return. And so they have a year or two left. And so, you know, it's our job to really kind of take that stake and say, this is where we left off. Now let's run with it and see what we can do. And so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun next year. From the outside looking in, it looked like maybe one of the things that changed down the stretch is, you know, earlier in conference season, you were getting maybe Ryan Watson or Joseph Brainer were giving you a good start on the weekend and the other starters maybe were having a little struggles, but then come about the midway point of conference season, it seems like Rafael Acosta just really turned it on and really became reliable to where you yeah. kind of moved him up sometimes from Sunday to Saturday, but even if he was on Sunday, he was giving you good Sunday starts. How are those moments for you as a coach where a guy just kind of takes that leap when you really needed someone to just start filling some innings? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, he was a, he's a big part of that. And and so is Ryan. I mean, and and there's so many people that go into it, but from, 
from Acosta specifically, you know, if, if you knew his history, his history is pretty, pretty easy. He was a catcher in junior college and couldn't hit. <laughs> I mean, he could hit, but it wasn't, you know, he couldn't really hit. And so we recruited him as kind of a catcher pitcher. And then about halfway through his sophomore year, he decided just to pitch. And so if you think about it, you know, when he started to come alive is really only about the second year that he's ever pitched in his life. And so it's a, it's an incredible thing, but it was just a mound time thing where he just needed to have the repetition, get back out there, get back out there, get back out. Um, and just, you know, the, his own personal growth from learning from all those mistakes and all the stuff that, you know, most of us are either a pitcher or a hitter from, you know, conception really. Um, and so he had made that shift and he threw really hard and, he started to understand what he was all about. And, you know, there's, there's so much left in the tank for him um, because he has such a fresh arm with, with not a whole lot of innings on it. But, you know, if you look at why we were able to kind of grind it out down the stretch, definitely, you know, he would go four and a third, four and two thirds, four and a third, and then he'd go five, you know, and then he'd go six, six and a third and started to stretch it out. And so, you know, I wish he was coming back, you know, unfortunately he's not, but, I'm just so excited for him to see what he his future is. I think that he has a couple of pro opportunities uh, coming up. So hopefully uh, he can keep on down that road and keep helping other teams go. And then another kind of late emerging guy that by the end of the year was kind of your closer as a true freshman was Brady Jones. I mean, you got to love that and looking forward to a guy that young who you trusted in those type of situations. Oh, absolutely. And, and he ironically, he was a two way player, you know, coming in in the fall and he uh, and we and I, uh, we decided about halfway through the fall that he really just wanted to pitch, um, you know, and if and he's arguably our, one of our better shortstops as well uh, from a fielding standpoint and all that. So uh, if you look at it kind of the same thing, his late emergence is really due to the fact that we made a decision late in the fall to make him a pitcher only. And so, you know, he's out in uh, Corvallis, Oregon, Washington, or he's in Corvallis, Oregon, um, pitching this summer. And so what we're trying to do is bring him back as a starter and, you know, he's got Friday night stuff. And so I'm excited to be able to see where, where he lands. He's got about 25, 20 to 25 more innings out there. And then he's going to come back and uh, shut it down and, and, and work on it. But the future is uh, incredibly bright for him. And, you know, we're, we're lucky to have him on our team and I'm excited to be able to, um, see where he's going to go because I think that, you know, we have such a good group of uh, offensive players coming back. Uh, we return, I think, seven of nine. Um, and most of those are, um, you know, middle of the order guys, guys that have, you know, 200, 300 bats plus in their um, under their belts in, in their career. And so um, being able to add Brady Jones to hopefully a weekend spot and then, you know, whatever else we were able to fill in the, fill in the gaps we've had some really good recruits we have some good guys coming in i think that we have the second uh second best sunbelt recruiting class right now behind southern miss um um according to some other you know agency that says oh you guys are really good but um you know it's uh it, it's a fun time because we're getting the recruits we're getting the players we've we've established the foundation and the cornerstone of this program um and really this upcoming year and next year is the year where we have to say okay this is who we are these are all our guys, and now it's really time to show what um, what we've been able to do recruiting-wise, coaching-wise, uh, player development-wise, and, um, you know, really excited to see what, um, what these guys can do on the field for us. 
I love when segues write themselves because, you know, you kind of mentioned the offense. Um, and, you know, I wanted to, you know, dive deeper a little bit on that and just kind of understand your philosophy um, in just both your recruits and just kind of what we've been seeing on the field. You know, the last two, I think each of the last two years, the offense have set the, you know, program record in home runs. And, you know, and I don't think that's by accident. Um is that something that you have kind of preached guys and, you know, been trying to just drive home specifically home runs? Is, is that just kind of a byproduct of, you know, some of the players that you've been recruiting specifically or. Well, I think that, I think there's a, a lot of layers to that onion for sure. And, and, you know, obviously the first and foremost is that our, our right field and our center field isn't exactly the deepest ballpark in the country. Um, so, and, and the wind kind of flies out a little bit, so that's, uh, advantageous to anybody, um, hitting home runs. And so that, that, that we have that going for us at home. I think we were 20 and 10 at home. Um, so it's, it's a really tough place to play when, when we, uh, when we get to play and sleep in our own beds. Um, but you know, the philosophy is, has actually nothing to do with home runs at all. Um, you know, the philosophy is trending towards big, strong, physical kids. And so if you look at the data and you look at statistics and, you know, there's a delicate balance between statistical analysis and in depth, you know, this is what you got to do. And then kind of your gut feel with a guy that can just hit. Um, and so if you look at just one or two aspects of the data the biggest one that stands out across the board whether it's major league baseball division one division two um probably all the way down to high school if they kept the statistics is exit velo um on hit balls and so um and, and i don't know exactly what it was this year but the stuff that we've kind of based it on is um you know anything that's any ball that's hit 95 miles an hour or harder um, so basically 95 to 110 or 12, 13 kind of is the kind of the top end of our range. Um, teams are hitting about 530. Players are hitting about 530 on that. Um, 94 and below, it's about 230. Um, and so there's a huge gap in the data. And that's kind of what you're always looking for is you're looking for um, just pieces of evidence to show, okay, if we can consistently hit the ball hard, you know, then you have a better chance of getting on base. And so if you just make it very simple like that, it doesn't matter if you hit it right, left, up, down, however your swing is, it doesn't matter. If you're big, strong, and physical, and you, and you can hit the ball hard, um, that's going to give you a better chance of, um, you know, a better chance of, of getting on base, winning baseball games. And, um, you know, obviously hitting home runs is part of that because, I think that big, strong, physical kids also have somewhat of an uppercut. Um, and so you're starting to get this, you know, I hate launch angle because it's stupid um, because you can't really teach it. But the reality is, is that launch angle is a byproduct of strength. And the strength is getting into your legs and swinging, um, you know, at the same trajectory of the ball is coming in at. And so it's a fun little, uh, it's a fun little thing that we do. And, um, you know, the other aspect of that is that TrackMan um, and Yakker Tech and all of the data um, has made the umpire's strike zones real, you know. And so now, the, the you know, there's I don't I don't remember a time in my life where the umpiring has been as good. It's really good. Now, you know, they're, they're still human. They'll still make a mistake. But from a consistency standpoint of a ball being pitched 
if it's over the plate in their so-called zone, it's a strike. If it's not in their zone, it's a ball. And I think the consistency of umpires has been really good. The problem is, is that on the other side of it, the pitchers all throw harder. And so there's not any, you know, you don't have a crafty lefty anymore. You know, everybody's 92 to 95 and throws as hard as they can. Well, most guys can't control the fastball as well. And so they're breaking stuff. It's, it's out of the zone. The players, the hitters are really disciplined. And so what I, what we're seeing is that there's a lot more pitches that are in the zone. The umpires are calling strikes better. And if you couple that with kind of big, strong hitters, I think that that's why there's so many, there's so many home runs across the country. I think that that's where, where we're at from a philosophical standpoint is let's get big, strong physical kids because this is where the model of college baseball is. Um, and I think that the goalpost kind of keeps moving with all these different rule changes and all this other stuff that happens, but you know, guys don't spin it as well anymore. Um, there's a bunch of guys in the bullpen that throw 95, 97 that can't even find the field. Um, and there's just a lot more fastballs that are thrown over the plate. And so, you know, if, if you look at that bigger trend in college baseball, that's how you recruit. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if it was everybody that was spinning the ball to death, you'd have to find little bunters and runners and slappers, you know? Um, uh, but the reality is, and we get big old donkeys that swing and miss and strike out a little bit, but we're going to hit tanks. So it's great. And then from the player side, obviously it's an easy sell when they can see you've had guys like Max Ryerson, Luke Boynton, just hitting right. a bunch of home runs back-to-back seasons like this. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's definitely helped us. We have a couple of bangers coming in this, uh, this upcoming year that are uh, junior college transfers and, uh, you know, a couple of portal kids. And so, um, you know, it's something that's really exciting and, um, you know, and, and coach Davis, our, our hitting coach does, does a really good job with, uh, you know, kind of the development piece of that. And, um, you know, we just, we do a lot of, <laughs> we do a lot of things that are based strictly on, um, that philosophy. And so, um, you know, having, having the recognition of Max and, you know, I mean, Luke, I mean, I think, I don't know how many guys were had, had double digit home runs, but I'm pretty sure everybody had eight or nine home runs that was in the lineup a lot. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a power lineup and I'm excited about it and they're all coming back besides Max. And you mentioned Corvallis a little earlier and it, it led into something I was going to ask about just the uh, summer league idea. I think it's something that people who follow college baseball or just the draft, whatever, have an idea, but maybe people listening might not. So I guess at the base level, what is the summer league opportunity for? And then on top of that, how does it help your program, you know, your program, the players, everyone involved? Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it, for us, we try to send kids out as much as we can. I mean, I know, I know that there's some coaches that are scared of, uh, oh, you know, your player is going to get poached in the portal and all this stuff. And the reality is if you're a good coach and the players like your philosophy and they're happy with where they're at, they're not going to get poached. Um, and if they do, that's fine. We'll just find another one. Uh, but the reality is that if they stay and they're bought into the program, um, you want them to go out and get that experience. And so, you know, like the Northwoods League uh, up in Minnesota, Iowa, um, Michigan, kind of that area, um, they play 76 games. And so in essence, if you have a freshman or a sophomore that didn't get very many at-bats or didn't get very many innings, it's an opportunity for them to have, in essence, an entire another season. Um, for a guy that played a lot, he gets to go up there and have more at bats. And, you know, you go have, you have 210 at bats in a college season. 
you can go get another 210 at bats in just the next two and a half months and you can come back with 500 at bats potentially by the time you're a sophomore and so to me it's invaluable to go out there plus it's it it allows them to get outside of their box completely um, and so I think it's really important for players to see that there's other coaches, there's other players, um, there's a different part of the country. You got to be uncomfortable. You got to live with host families. You got to be polite. Um, you have to show up on the field. You, you can't, you know, your mom, or your dad, your grandma, they're not ha- holding your hand through, uh, through life. Um, and so a lot of kids just run this little East Cobb, Lake Point PBR circuit here in Atlanta because we're we're Atlanta based and we recruit Atlanta. We recruit Metro Atlanta. We recruit Georgia and in kind of the immediate Southeast, Um, you know, for, but for Brady Jones to go see Corvallis, it's a whole different world. You know, the West coast is a lot different than, than, uh, than Decatur, Georgia. Um, And so for him to come back, I I think it ages them in a good way. And um, the maturity level that you see once a kid comes back from wherever they played summer ball is something that you want to see as a coach, as a player, um, because I think that the maturity part of it um, bleeds into a level of leadership um, as you continue to grow your program. Are you taking any opportunities to go see some of your players out in some of these summer leagues? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, we try to uh, – We one of the coaches tries to go see almost everybody. We, we – strategically try to place them in areas where we can kind of, you know, go for two or three days and see everybody in that area, whether they play each other on the team or whether you can drive close. So there's a couple guys in the Valley league. I think there's like eight guys in the Valley league. I think there's uh, six or seven guys in the Northwoods league. Um, you know, obviously there's Brady and Corvallis. Um, some of the guys play in a local summer league here called the Sunbelt Collegiate Baseball League. Um, you know, Luke Boynton's up in New England. So there's there's all sorts of um, there's all sorts of teams everywhere. And so we can't hit everybody, but we like to go see the young ones specifically because that allows us to, hey, how you doing? You know, just kind of have that familiarity and um, just see how they're doing. And then. On the player side, for the ones looking at pro prospects, in maybe not all cases, but I think most of them, it'll be first experience with wood bats. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's it's a lot easier <laughs> sometimes. And it's a lot, it's a lot easier as a pitcher. You just throw the ball down the middle and they'll break their bat. Um, you know, and then, you know, obviously if you're a hitter, you gotta figure out how to hit. Um, and again, that's part of like this this growth part because you know, you're gonna have great days, you're gonna have bad days. But the best part about college summer ball, in my opinion, is that you got to wake up the next morning and you got to go play catch and whatever happened, you just forget about it and you're worried about whatever is the next day. And so to me, that's what's important as they bring that back is that, you know, we have a great game on Friday. You got to forget about it. You got to play on Saturday. You have a terrible game on Saturday. You got to forget about it. You got to play on Sunday because if you win two out of three, um, you know, you're 20 and 10 in conference and you arguably should win the conference. And that's uh, that to me is the most important part is that you just you learn how to win and lose, but you learn how to play with longevity. Well, I think that's all I got. Unless David's got something else. Uh, we definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk about all things baseball. They recovered pretty much the whole gamut. Yeah, well, thank you guys for uh, having us. And uh, hopefully we can put on a good show for you guys uh, this upcoming uh, year. And hopefully we can get you to a regional. Thanks so much, coach. See you guys.
All right. Big thanks to Georgia State baseball coach Brad Strombal for coming on the podcast this week. We will have lots more coming for you this summer. Stay tuned. We'll let you know when it goes out. But until then, have a good one. Go Panthers.